0: I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray.
1: And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents the Anime Effect.
2: Welcome to I Could Murder, a podcast. We are back once again, and I'm joined by, of course I am, the kooky, the klutzy, the king-size, Kafka-esque Ben Carter.
1: King-size. Fantastic. King-size. Yeah. But kooky is, you know, so you got to roll with the punch. How are we doing? Are you okay? I'm <laughs> oh, very well, mate. you? Yeah, doing okay. Doing okay. King-size. No, that hasn't got me hasn't got me uh yeah glad to hear you doing well though glad to hear you doing well we're back with another episode a fascinating episode a varied episode and thrilled to be in the company of producer dan
0: hello <laughs> repping your uh swampy cock today ben. Swampy are you what? really?
2: <laughs> maybe i just misheard swampy cup he said swampy cock yeah, okay oh
0: isn't that what they talk about this little thing here?
2: yeah that little thing here. it's a foot you were talking about and skin earlier ben I think that was you. <laughs> no, I think it was Dan. But
0: about you, dusty old boy. <laughs> Maybe you've got no dust in your house. Do you no, not shed not your skin? That's not true. No, <laughs> he sheds skin, boy. Oh yes. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Mm.
2: Yeah, it, it, this is this is a very intriguing one. I realise, Ben, your cryptic clue. Do you want to remind us what that was?
1: Uh, it's going to annoy people. I know that much. It was. Um, sorry, they're not very memorable, um, which is a problem. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but it is actually quite good. Chelsea should lock up that scientist. Stanford <laughs> yes. will annoy people. Yeah, that's the thing. Cause I just
2: because I didn't know much about the case before you did the teaser. And I was like, oh, that works so well, really good. Then I saw it at
1: Stanford. And yeah, I was like, okay, yes, yeah. I was going to do an office thing, you know, but yes, yeah, so you win some and you lose some with the cryptic clues. Uh, that one's sort of a, a, a draw. Yeah, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you that.
2: But anyway, we hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode, the Enfield Haunting—something a little bit different. Yeah, we're very intrigued to see what you guys thought about it, and if you believed it, or, or if you thought it was all just a, as Ben put it, was it just a few naughty girls doing naughty things in the bedroom? So we're very interested to see what you thought about that. Today's episode, again, it is kind of not really our usual, but we are this. This series is very much rogue. It is rogue, yeah. It's like a DJ remixing our series. It's um, what's it's Skill Rex? Scrap. Skirax. <laughs> Skirax. Skrillex. Skrillex. Yeah, yeah, So I said, first time. Skrillex. <laughs> sorry. Skrillex. Yeah, it's like you're giving Skrillex a uh, back catalog, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, just like last week, is a very different case by our standards, um, but definitely one that a lot of people have mentioned over the years that they'd like to see us covered, and also one that uh, we've been equally fascinated by. The only case I can think we've covered that's even close to being similar was that one a couple of months ago on the website, the Holmesburg Prison Experiments, but that was... Dark and disturbing on a completely different scale. Yeah, Um, that was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fascinating this one, and uh, I'm excited to see kind of uh, our opinions on the case towards the end as well. Because I keep imagining ourselves in this scenario now, and in everything I thought of, I am the prisoner. Which is, yeah, different outcomes.
2: We'll get into that because as I do, as something I do want to pose to us as a group later on. I immediately know who Danny is. I immediately know who Ben is. I'm not sure where I am.
1: Yeah, actually, I agree with you. Sorry, Dan.
0: Is that bad news for me? No, uh, it's a compliment. It's a compliment. Mm. Good. Leadership. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Leadership and cruelty. Uh, But anyway, like we always do, uh, Dan is going to set the scene on this week's case.
0: The Stanford Prison Experiment conducted by psychologist Dr. Philip Zimbardo in 1971, is shrouded in horrific controversies that continue to disturb its participants to date. Intended to examine the psychological effects of perceived power, the experiment involved college students assigned to play roles as guards and prisoners in a simulated prison environment. However, after less than 24 hours, the study quickly spiraled out of control. ...as those designated as guards began exhibiting abusive and sadistic behaviours towards their fellow participants... ...whilst the simulated prisoners experienced extreme emotional distress and disorientation. The controversies surrounding the Stanford Prison Experiment have raised profound ethical concerns... ...including issues of informed consent, psychological harm and the blurred line between research and abuse... ...casting a shadow over the validity and ethics of the study's eventual findings...
1: So, this is, of course, the Stamford Prison Experiment, also known as the Case of Dr. Zimbardo, the brutalities at Stamford County Jail, and the Stamford Prison controversies. Not a lot of titles this week. Uh, really, stretch that one out. The embargo of Dr. Zimbardo. Very good. I'd watch it. Yeah. But he's been banned to
2: say anything because of the embargo. So, it's really just him sitting there <laughs> for an hour and a half, not doing a lot, a little bit anxious. Um, but anyway, uh, after what he put people through, which we'll get into just now, actually. He deserves it. As always, a quote to start us off.
0: The Stanford Prison Experiment exposed the flaws in our justice system, as well as our own psychological makeup, shedding light on the innate human desire for power and control. The study revealed the dark depths of human nature and the potential for evil that exists within us all. If you put good apples into a bad situation, you get bad apples.
2: Yeah, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, that uh, obviously we didn't discuss this further about them, putting good apples in a bad situation. But I sometimes think if you put a good apple into a bad situation, you can make the good apple thrive. Oh, really? Yeah. How's the How's that? Well, if you put someone in a situation where bad things are happening around them and they stood up for the good. Sorry, I was literally thinking of literal apples. Okay, well, okay, <laughs> well, uh, let's think of something quite uh, a barrel of bad apples, a good apple at the top. It's just going to look look delicious and. Uh, be more appealing, so I don't think that's gonna but eventually rots yeah so is everything though (laughs) yeah we're gonna go into a bit of background in terms of exactly how the experiment came to be
1: before going into a timeline of events of the experiment and having a wider look at the impact that this incident had the Stanford prison experiment was one of the brain childs uh, or brain children I don't know the technical one there when there's there's more than one of Dr. Philip George Zimbardo so, Doctor Zimbardo has a very interesting story, both prior to and after the Stanford experiment. And actually, I know we sort of had a little jibe at him in the intro there, but he—he's uh, still very active. And the last thing on his Twitter page or X was him going at a podcast that covered the uh, that covered the case. So, yeah, well, if you're here, cheers. Bring it on, Zimbardo. Absolutely, charity fight, Ben against Zimbardo. Love to see
2: it. Let us it's, know. It's this about ninety below. odd. It's about ninety odd. Yeah, give you a fucking chance. <laughs> Take it.
1: So Philip was born on the 23rd of March 1933 in the South Bronx, New York City. Both his mother and father, Margaret Bishia and Giorgio Zimbardo, were Italian immigrants originally from Camerata, Sicily, and the pair went on to have four children shortly after arriving in America, three boys and one girl. Oh, three-one. Oh, I was waiting for that. We had to film the morning after as well, didn't we? Bloody do Nora. Don't know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Right?
1: Yeah, cheers. Good one. Unless good one. you don't know what you're talking about do you want to elaborate football
2: it's all here and it's all football always
1: yeah football yeah
0: football i uh, newcastle 1-3-1 against my nice. team
1: got it fun one of the lads yeah <laughs> The Zimbardo children, made up of Philip, George Jr., Donald and Vera, faced a great deal of discrimination and challenges whilst growing up in New York during the 30s and 40s. According to Philip, he and his siblings were regularly racially prejudiced by both adults and other children in the area, and they were also made fun of for living in one of the poorer neighborhoods in the Bronx. Philip went on record later in life to say that he and his family were regularly mistakenly abused for being Puerto Rican, Jewish, Mexican or black, but that they would also be abused for being Italian-American. He would claim that it was these experiences that would spark his curiosity in people and subsequently encourage him to explore psychology in his education.
2: So as we mentioned, the Zimbardo family lived in one of the poorer parts of town. They lived in a small shared apartment on what was predominantly an Italian-American street. The family received in state welfare. With Philip's father, George Senior, working as an electrician, whilst his mother helped to raise the family at school. Despite the challenges he faced outside of it, Philip was said to be an excellent student who was passionate about learning and curious about everything. He attended James Monroe High School in the Bronx before going on to Brooklyn College, where he studied psychology, sociology, and anthropology, earning a triple major upon graduating with a. And this is the first time we've heard this on the show. A summer come, Lord, Lord, spell L a-u-d come lord
1: but the rest felt like you'd imagine it yeah that's oh. your um, playstation game tag isn't it come lord yeah game attack no summer summer ben Su- summer ben have some, some of that summer come lord no nah. have summer come just <laughs>
2: basically latin for with highest praise and honor and stinky he got a
1: triple major with highest praise some more information on the cum lord not from, expert, from the cum lord um, I did do a little search <laughs> did do a little search for us so come lord basically means uh, with distinction also this isn't going to be another Viscount moment is it? Come loud. Come lord we are looking at how to pronounce these phrase from latin these title we'll be looking at how to say more latin useful edu- education related vocabulary too so stay tuned to the channel loads to learn here Cum laude. Cum laude. Cum laude. It's how it's yes. said.
2: Okay. So, okay. So, just, sorry, yeah. we, you've just heard there. We've actually, just to double check, we didn't say it wrong. It's not cum, cum Lord. It's cum laude. Cum laude. Cum laude. Yeah. Yeah. Cum, cum, cum laude. Cum, cum, laude,
1: which, cum, cum laude. Cum laude. <laughs> sorry. Cum, the music but, makes that, yeah. Yeah. Well, cum laude uh, basically means with distinction and that typically goes to sort of 16 to 35 percent of the class magda cum laude which basically means with great distinction typically goes to the top six to 15 percent of the class and summer cum laude uh, not summer cum lord basically means with highest praise or honor and that typically goes to the top one to five percent of class so yeah uh, zimbardo he was he was really good another note worth mentioning about his school life uh, so whilst uh, Zimbardo was over at James Monroe High School he actually shared a number of classes with and apparently sat next to Stanley Milgram uh, which is the, the odds you would have got on that are, are incredible. Stanley would go on to create and conduct the very famous and highly controversial Milgram experiment in 1961 which is a whole nother case in itself <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Hold, Hold up, up, up then. Then. It's, it's time, time
2: is that right me to do the effect was it too delay that's fine <laughs> he loves it <laughs> yes, yes yes we are back once again for Tommy's Trivia welcome back hopefully this is a, a terrific one yes whilst doing the research for this case um, I am um, come cloudy come across um, this Milgram experiment uh, which Ben has just so delicately thrown my way it's one that uh, looking into it and seeing some research for it online I thought that this is fascinating I think Dan's going to be very uh Fascinated by it as well. Obviously, Ben, you already know what it is, but I thought for the listeners and the viewers, they deserve to know what Milgram did. And I'd be interested to see if they approve of this experiment as well. On August the seventh, nineteen sixty-one, at Yale University, Stanley Milgram's study was all about seeing how much people would listen to authority figures, even when it meant doing something they felt was wrong. So participants were asked to give what they thought were painful electric shocks to someone they couldn't see if they got questions wrong. So basically, they got a microphone. They've got this little uh, thing to turn the dial up on, this elect- on those electric shocks and there's someone behind the screen they can't see, which basically they're asking these questions. If they get it wrong, hit the shock. If they get it wrong again, go a higher voltage, hit the shock. So that's the situation we're in. So the people who were doing the experiment were told they were helping with a memory and learning study. They thought they were administrating shocks to a person, but it actually was an actor and the shocks weren't real. So, but they didn't, you know, obviously they had no idea. They thought it was real. Even though the person receiving the shocks acted like they were in pain, participants were told to keep going by the person running the experiment and increasing the voltage. From the one person I saw doing it, he could could noticeably see him feeling uncomfortable looking around but the guy leading the experiment was basically go nope keep going it's fine keep going and then he just would reluctantly go okay and just and just keep keep on going surprisingly a lot of people would persist with it many participants were visibly uncomfortable and stressed out during the experiment and people administrating the shocks even went to dangerous voltages after being reassured by their scientist the one i saw he went to about 120 volts and the guy was like you could hear the actor going ah ah." i'm gonna leave he says he's not happy Should, should we stop he's like no keep going but the guy persisted going to well over 350 volts with the same guy. So he knew he was in pain then, but he still kept going all the way up to there. And that's obviously 350 volts is extremely dangerous as well. And uh, <laughs> I thought this was slightly unnecessary by the actors and stuff. Uh, the administrator administrated that one. The actor didn't make any sound. <laughs> So it was as if they'd gone, yeah, pretend you're dead, <laughs> just to kind of trick him. So it was just, basically Milgram wanted to understand why people would do things they know are wrong, just because someone in charge tells them to, and they'd go on to reference things like concentration camps, like how can prison guards or concentration camp guards do that when they know what they're doing is so horrible and so wrong. Is it just because they're told what to do and they kind of diminish, diminish responsibility? And it's still one of the most famous psychological experiments ever done and has been redone many times over the world. It's very, yeah, it's very interesting. When someone says no, someone in a clipboard and a white coat says no, you're right. You're like, okay. Yeah. okay. But yes, Dan, what do you think about that? Well, I
0: was just looking. Do you know how many volts it takes to kill a man? I don't actually. Apparently, it's as little as fifty volts. Oh 50. wow!
2: Mm. I guess it depends how what state the person's in. I don't mean yeah, which American so. state. Washington was worse than <laughs> Alabama. I mean, what, you know, you know the body.
0: But, but very interesting, yeah. It's crazy how people can push it so high, but just being told to do it. Mm. Weird.
2: But you, yeah, you're going to learn all more about that. Sorry, Ben, for interrupting you here, but... Oh, of course.
1: <laughs> back to the case. So yeah, very interesting coincidence that Philip and Stanley were classmates. And um, yeah, Stanley's experiments would come 10 years before uh, the Stanford prison experiments. After graduating from Brooklyn College in 1954, Zimbardo studied psychology at Yale University for the following five years, where he earned his master's degree and PhD in the process. Whilst at Yale, he also began dating fellow student Rose Abdelnour, with the pair later getting married and having a son together, whom they named Adam. After earning his PhD in 1959, Zimbardo began teaching for a year at Yale before going on to become a professor of psychology at NYU and also teaching for a brief period at Columbia University. From what I understand, these are all quite highly regarded universities, like top level universities. He held his role at NYU through to 1968, where he then joined the faculty at Stanford University, and he became their professor of psychology just three years later in 1971. During this time his research interests focused on social psychology, time perspective and the psychological effects of deindividualization. So individualization is defined as a phenomenon in which individuals in a group setting believe they cannot be identified under the cover of the crowd which reduces the accountability and results in non-normative behavior. I found a lift exactly yeah yeah or um what was the other one we did that was kind of no not really similar actually at all but i've brought it up now the, the bystander effect that's different uh, yeah. isn't it where there's a crowd but you assume someone you else is going to interject exactly yeah a lot of lot of different things in the world aren't there
2: there really are ben
1: <laughs> you kooky king-sized bastard go on thank you Further exploring these interests, Zimbardo would attend various research seminars, including those led by his former mentor, Neil Elgar Miller. And it's believed it was during this particular period that Zimbardo wanted to explore social experiments regarding aggression in humans.
0: Ideas for my first experiments in human aggression came from discussions we had in a research seminar about William Golding's Lord of the Flies. Good book. Never read it. I've
1: never read it. Oh. oh. Never read it, yeah. It's definitely on there for me, definitely. Mm, On the list? On the list, yeah.
0: Mm, Big old list you got there, boy. Mm. We all like to believe that the line between good and evil is a wall. The people who do terrible things, such as commit murder, treason or kidnapping, are on the evil side of this line, and the rest of us could never cross it. But the line between good and evil is permeable. Some people are on the good side only because situations are never coerced or seduced them to cross over.
2: So essentially, Zimbardo was suggesting that, much like what happened in Lord of the Flies, without supervision or guidance, certain situations can cause good people to engage in evil acts, or that any person who, when placed in the right set of circumstances, is capable of evil behaviour. This has also been compared in multiple ways to dynamics and behaviours of members of the Nazi party. Though Zimbardo didn't define evil as within the actual act of wrongdoing, but rather as the exercise of power in order to psychologically or physically harm another human being. He went on to say the following at a conference in Toronto.
0: I had been conducting research for some years on de-individuation, vandalism and dehumanisation that illustrated the ease with which ordinary people could be led to engage in antisocial acts by putting them in situations where they felt anonymous, or they could perceive of others in ways that made them less than human as enemies or objects.
1: Zimbardo likes long sentences doesn't he Mm. not just for his prisoners (laughs) am I right is that okay (laughs) fucking fucking brilliant
0: that is so class clever that could be the best thing that you've said ever ever yeah wow
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's the music isn't it that makes it so nice on the top of discussions surrounding the lord of the flies there was also a large rise in brutalities caused by prison guards on inmates across America during the late 60s and early 70s This was something that Zimbardo became extremely curious about and wanted to understand the possible factors at play. This, together with a generous government grant from the US Office of Naval Research in order to understand antisocial behaviour, resulted in Zimbardo putting forward his proposal for SPE, which we all know as the Stanford Prison Experiment. His proposal was soon after approved by university officials, with the official website of SPE describing the study's goal as follows.
0: We wanted to see what the psychological effects were of becoming a prisoner or prison guard. To do this, we decided to set up a simulated prison and then carefully note the effects of this institution on the behaviour of all those within its walls. In his
2: proposal of the Stanford Prison Experiment, Zimbardo stated that he aimed to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power and authority within a simulated prison environment. The experiment was designed to last for a period of two weeks and involved randomly assigned college students to play the roles of guards and prisoners in a makeshift
1: prison that was set up in the basement of the Stanford Psychology Building. So we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown in terms of the prep before moving into our timeline. So first of all, the prisoners and the guards. So to conduct his study, as Tom said, Zimbardo needed willing participants to play both the prisoners and the prison guards. He therefore took out an ad in the Help Wanted section in the first week of August 1971 editions of two different local newspapers, the Paolo Alto Times and the Stanford Daily. And the adverts stated the following...
0: Male college students needed for psychological study of prison life. $15 per day for one to two weeks beginning August 14th. For further information and applications, come to room 248, Jordan Hall, Stanford U.
1: So yeah, first of all, on the advert itself, so $15 back in 1971 equates to roughly $114 in 2024. Oh, so, shit. Not a bad bit of moolah, especially when we go into <laughs> what the applicants were kind of hoping for in this study. If you had two weeks... That you know, for just in your head, you're probably
2: thinking sitting around doing not a great deal.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. So, I mean, the majority of the people will go on to it with the interview process when they were asked if they'd rather be a guard or a prisoner. The vast majority said, oh, no one likes guards. Prisoners don't have to do anything. I'd rather be a prisoner. So they're thinking maybe they'll sit in a cage for two weeks and get, you know, a a decent amount of money in return. There was some... I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, especially with the, I was saying to the boys, the official Stanford Prison Experiment website. You guys need to leave rabbits alone. I don't know why you keep going down them. (laughs)
2: Where are they? (laughs) Peter, Peter! I like your little jacket.
1: (laughs) Cum laude. (laughs) Deary me. Uh, But yeah, there's a bit of controversy about these specific ads because there are photos of the actual ad and people criticise the way that it's worded and the use of the term prison life because uh, some people feel that the use of that term, including fellow psychologists and authors, um, suggests that those specific words together, or the fact that it was exploring prisons, would have been more likely to attract volunteers who perhaps had more aggressive traits, narcissism, machiavellianism, social dominance orientation, and lower levels of empathy. So, yeah people have said they should have just put psychological study and not reference the prison life because that attracted a certain demographic yeah, two individuals Thomas Carnahan and Sam McFarland were the ones that really were pushing this to say that but I, I don't know I think it was the financial thing that probably mm. <laughs> caught people's eyes more than the prison Miley life Money talks Ben. Absolutely does. It absolutely does. So yeah, from these adverts, 75 male students initially applied to take part in the study. These 75 who responded were interviewed concerning their mental health history, any kind of family history of psychopathy, and any past antisocial behaviours. This particular number of 75 was whittled down very quickly to 24 perhaps due to the intentional exclusion of anybody with a criminal background, medical or mental health condition. The 24 selected to take part were, quote, judged to be the most stable, both physically and mentally, the most mature and the least involved in antisocial behavior. So there's a lot of criticisms about the study itself. In these interview processes and the application process, they were very keen to whittle this number down to the exact uh, demographic that they wanted for this study. Each applicant was then put through a series of additional interviews and thorough mental health screenings as well as multiple psychological tests in order to deem them both stable and suitable before the experiment was officially due to begin. And one of the screening questions was literally a multiple choice. Have you ever taken marijuana, uppers, downers, heroin or crack cocaine? And From the images you can find online. A lot of these boxes are ticked. So, just a day before the experiment was due to start, the candidates
2: were divided into two 12 man teams nine guards plus three substitute guards, and nine prisoners plus three substitute prisoners. With all the prisoners agreeing to spend the following 7 to 14 days living within the basement. Conditions and responsibilities were obviously vastly different for each team, with prisoners having to remain confined for the duration, being made to stay in their small shared cells all day and night, with the exception of limited access to the yard, which was a small communal corridor area within the basement.
0: Dr. Zimbardo recalled. These kids were all anti-war activists, hippies with long hair. They were against authority. Nobody wanted to be a guard.
1: As we mentioned in the application process, when they were asked, would you rather be a guard? Would you rather be a prisoner? All of them were kind of inclined to say, rather be a prisoner. Less work, um, the money's good and nobody likes guards was kind of the general consensus there. So... Obviously, with foresight, you might now, well, it it depends where you stand, but yeah, they assumed that it would be a lot easier uh, to be the prisoners in this situation. We'll see where this goes, because it would not go as easy as they perhaps expected. So some people have said that in this kind of deciding which people made guards and which people made prisoners, some people have said that they literally flipped a coin to do this, but uh, other people suggest that Zimbardo was very uh, controlled in his approach and was based on the interviews, wanted certain people that he'd met straight away, he identified that person's a guard, that person's a prisoner, or would based on some of their answers, would say, oh, actually, let's put him in this situation and see how he fares. So, yeah, there's a lot of contention around that particular situation. So the prisoners didn't have a lot of room to move, they didn't have a lot of space, and they didn't have a lot of independence. The guards, meanwhile, were given access to additional rest, recreation and relaxation rooms, uh, which were kept separate from the prisoners, whilst also being able to work in teams of three, with each team being able to complete an eight-hour shift before being able to leave the basement and go home after each stint. So that was, yeah an immediate difference. The prisoners are there 24-7. The guards do eight-hour shifts each day and then go home. Dr. Zimbardo also played a role within the experiment, making himself the prison superintendent and one of his understudies, David Jaffe, the prison warden. And yeah, we'll go into this because Zimbardo very much fell into this role and it kind of... Well, he very much became immersed in this role. The applicants playing the guards attended an orientation where they were given military uniforms to wear, complete with silver mirrored aviator style sunglasses, which apparently were given to them to create a sense of anonymity and also to prevent direct eye contact with prisoners. They were also given wooden bâtons, known as billy clubs, uh, which apparently um, Zimbardo was able to borrow from local police, and they were also given whistles. The guards were instructed to refer to the prisoners by their prison numbers only and not to use their names. They were told that if any prisoners escaped, then the study would immediately be over. And they were also informed that they could not cause any kind of physical harm to the prisoners and it's alleged that they were also said that you can't withhold food from them, but we'll we'll see where that goes but that they also did need to maintain law and order in the prison and they needed to make the prisoners feel like they were in an actual prison. Zimbardo recalled the following in an interview with the BBC.
0: All the guards wore military uniforms and we had them wear these silver reflecting sunglasses. And What it does is you can't see someone's eyes and so that loses some of their humanness, their humanity. In general, we wanted to create a sense of power. That is, the guards, as a category, are people who have power over others. In this case, power over the prisoners. We were, of course, studying not only the prisoners, but also the guards, who found themselves in a new power-laden role.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices...
2: Many researchers of the experiment and other academics in the field of psychology believe that having gone through this kind of induction instruction with the participants playing the guards would have resulted in them performing demand characteristics, meaning the individuals will have been more likely to behave in a way which they felt the researchers expected them to behave, and to also act in very exaggerated, stereotypical ways that mirrored the way they believed authentic prison guards to behave. These stereotypes are predominantly negative and highly aggressive. Other critics of the experiment believe that those playing the guards were specifically encouraged to act aggressively towards the prisoners. The doubters and kind of naysayers on this whole experience are basically saying Zimbardo muddied his whole experience, his whole experiment before they even were in the cells. So by allowing him to have the chat beforehand and being involved within himself, he's basically said to the guys, this is how I want you to behave. So yeah, the findings aren't anything that you can take. So yeah, he's, he's kind of fucked it before he started, which I think is fair, uh, the other crit- criticism that would go on to be said is, is a thing called the independent variable, which essentially like if someone is, if you're, if you're trying medicine or whatever, you'd be giving one person the medicine one person not the medicine to see the different effects it has on the body or certain diets, one person will have will take this food, one person won't take that food and you'll see how it affects the two people whereas this is an experiment where basically he's muddied the minds of the prison guards in this one, but he should have done the exactly same experiment without muddying the minds and seeing how the people reacted But he hadn't done that, so how can you take the findings to know this is how everyone will behave, is one of the big criticisms
1: about this. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, but there'll be a few more that we'll jump into as we go into our timeline. So we now have our prisoners, we now have our guards. Let's talk a little bit about the prison itself. So the small mock prison, which would play home to the experiment, was also put together just a day before the study was due to start. So a lot of last-minute stuff here. Lastminute.com. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for this week's sponsor.
2: I'm actually quite confused.com.
1: <laughs> Last minute prisons. Um, Come
2: loudy.com.
1: Oh. oh, that could be. But yeah, this was put together in the... Laude. loudy. So the prison was constructed within the basement of building 420, known as Jordan Hall, which was Stanford's psychology block.
2: The converted basement had an 11 metre, 35 foot area segmented off for the experiment, which included the yard corridor, as well as three separate three person cells that were formerly laboratory rooms which measured at only two meters by three meters. So Zimbardo uh, had an idea, basically trying to make things a bit more authentic. He brought in a prison consultant who was Carlo Prescott and put him as head of the parole board. And he had actually been a prisoner servant at San Quentin. um, So he had recently been released and Zimbardo thought it would be a good idea to get him brought in to basically, they brought him in to essentially make sure that things would be done in the same way that would have been done in prison. The lab doors were then replaced with prison doors and within each cell there was nothing but three individual beds, each with a single sheet and pillow, allowing little to no room to move once you were in the cell. There was also a small, dark, two foot by two foot storage cupboard that were converted into a lockable solitary confinement cell, so not a lot of room in there. So that was like a, what they call it, the, the hole, they called it the hole within the experiment, so it's uh, essentially isolation. Or you just imagine the choky, but less spiky. The chokey! You'll be naughty, getting the chokey. Like that, Dan? Just like that, please. Thanks so much, indeed. It had no natural light in there or fresh air for the prisoners. As well as this, intercom systems were installed and small holes were created in partition walls in order to observe the prisoners, whilst their cells were also bugged so that researchers could secretly hear what the prisoners were saying. Mm, very intriguing. So during the orientation meetings with the guards, Zimbardo can be seen and heard on record saying the following about the participants
0: playing the prisoners. You can create a sense of fear in them. You can create a notion that their life is totally controlled by us and that there will be constant surveillance. We have total power in the situation and they have none.
2: So we have our guards, we have our prisoners, we have our rules and we have our prison. We have all the ingredients now to make one of the most notorious experiments in the history of psychology. And it is here that we move over to the timeline of the Stanford Prison Experiment.
0: Dear one in the big brother house.
2: Oh, I don't like it here. Can I get her? Actually, I had enough of this prison cell. No, you're not allowed. Oh, don't Two weeks, be please. Like $115 and
0: 2024 money. Time lapse. Oh, uh. <laughs> for fuck's sake.
1: I'm a better man for it. Day one, Sunday, August 15th, 1971. During what was described as a quiet summer Sunday across the state of California, several police cars began to tear through the city of Palo Alto with their sirens blazing. They made that's, pretty good. Fuck that's pretty good. Brilliant. That's pretty good. Oh, we, need, we need
0: several though. Just okay. that's a good use of it, Tom. Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: They made 12 concurrent arrests that morning, picking up all of the participants that had been selected as prisoners from their home addresses or from different locations around town. They handcuffed each man whilst searching them and reading them their legal rights before placing each man in the back of their car and taking them to Palo Alto police headquarters. Once they arrived at the station, they were charged with burglary and armed robbery before being fingerprinted, booked and having their mugshots taken. Each individual was then taken to a holding cell where he was left blindfolded to ponder his fate and wonder exactly what he had done to get himself into this mess. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on with this particular moment itself. So when they were picked up, they were all blindfolded and placed into the back of a legitimate police car by a legitimate police officer. Everything here was authentic to simulate the uh, a, a genuine arrest, um, and all of the yeah, individuals involved were legitimate, the booking process was real, and all of this was done at Zimbardo's request. So as well as this, as the prisoner participants were not aware that this was going to happen, although in, in a video where Zimbardo is briefing the guards... He says this is going to happen and that they're aware of it. So it depends who you believe here. They say that they were not aware of it, but he says to the guards that this is gonna happen and they are aware of it. But Zimbardo, some of the things he says you can take with a pinch of salt. He's quite slippery, Ben. He is quite slippery, a slippery Zimbardo. It sounds a bit like a fish. Yeah, cause, um the uh, the river the other day caught a couple of
2: Zimbardos. <laughs> i am drinking a couple, a couple Zimbardos, put them in the in the pan.
1: Delicious. It does, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of hungry now. For fish? Depends it's 10.42. Yeah. <laughs> Eggs Benedict? No. Eggs... What's the one with salmon? Is it royal? So the prisoners state that they weren't aware this was going to happen. Obviously, them being arrested authentically in their own neighbourhood in front of all of their neighbours might not have been the best look. But Zimbardo was very kind of clear in the orientation that this was going to happen and that they knew it was going to happen. So it depends who you believe. But if they weren't aware, and then straight away before the experiment has even properly started, this was declared a breach of ethics in Zimbardo's own contract, which each participant had signed. There is video footage of many of these arrests, as a local television reporter was conveniently following the police around in Philip Zimbardo's car. And whilst all of this was going on, the experiment guards were waiting in the mock prison, which now had a sign attached to the wall and was referred to as Stanford County Jail from the Palo Alto police station the blindfolded prisoners were placed back into the back of the police cars with once again their sirens on get
0: in the car, get in the car
1: where they were then transferred to the mock prison, where they would be taken into the custody of the Experiment Guards. Upon arrival, the guards subjected the prisoners to an incredibly degrading strip search, where they then issued each prisoner with their uniform and unique prisoner number. The uniform was also degrading and uncomfortable. It consisted of a single smock slash short dress, basically looked like a very large t-shirt, oversized t-shirt is I think the term, and they were not allowed to wear any kind of underwear or bottom half of clothing to go with it. They were also given rubber sandals, a nylon stocking hair cap, and had a large steel chain bolt placed around their ankles. The nylon cap itself was apparently used to simulate uh, the experience of them having had their hair shaved off. After this humiliation was over, they were placed into the prison cells where they spent the rest of their first day. And yeah, it was quite an awkward moment. The guards, obviously, this was their first experience of handling the prisoners. They were laughing and joking with them. They kind of knew of each other. So it was all quite friendly. But also then once they forced them to strip, they started berating them, making fun of them uh, and humiliating them. So already the power balance is is, is uh, in movement here.
2: That's, that's very small. small. What are you
1: going to do, do with that? that?
2: <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah,
1: that's mean. That stinks. (laughs) How humiliating. Um, (laughs) According to the official Stanford Prison Experiment website, Each
0: prisoner was systematically searched and stripped naked. He was then de-loused with a spray to convey our belief that he may have germs or lice. Real male prisoners don't wear dresses, but real male prisoners do feel humiliated and do feel emasculated. Our goal was to produce similar effects quickly by putting men in a dress without any underclothes. Indeed, as soon as some of our prisoners were put in these uniforms, they began to walk and to sit differently and to hold themselves differently, more like a woman than a man.
2: I have to say, Zimbardo does have, seem to have some weird perversions within all of this. Like, he loves the power, puts himself at the top of the tree. I don't think it's necessary to do... I, I understand the kind of stripping and the that side of it, because it is a prison-related thing. But prisoners don't walk around in essentially long boyfriend T-shirts and don't wear any underwear. Like,
1: Yeah, that part was weird. I mean, I I, I winced at some of the recreations of them uh, being strip searched and, and deloused. But mm-hmm. that does happen in prisons. But then mm-hmm. when they're handed this bizarre uniform, and it's a, a chain around one ankle as well just to remind them. It's more sort of symbolic than anything
2: physical yeah just to go on that quote that quote earlier as well from zimbardo where he said we have total power in the situation and they have none it's like we even that makes you feel like we have total power yeah it just feels like is he living out some kind of weird fantasy of you know, being in control of all these young men because i don't know it seems very odd and him saying oh they sat differently is it like, yes yeah. but if you put a man in a kilt he sits differently if he's not wearing <laughs> anything underneath it's like it's not yeah. like they definitely think they're in prison
1: now so, no, because yeah. it's not relative. It's not it doesn't make any sense within the experiment. It just seems to be very odd. Definitely. So I mean, so the prisoners have just now been mock arre- well, quite authentically arrested, but in a mock environment, and now they're placed in within their cells. Probably they were expecting, obviously, to be treated like prisoners, but I don't think they were expecting this. And this is when you first start to see them thinking, what the fuck is going on here? And there is a photo uh, taken of them in their first uh, prison lineup, And it does show a very ranging set of emotions within each prisoner. We'll pop the photo up for you now, but some are laughing and joking. Others won't look at the camera. Some have got their head down. Some look visibly uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really uh, poignant photo. The rest of the day went by without issue, with the prisoners relaxing in their cells and the guards adjusting to their duties. So yeah, they were all thinking it was nice and easy going from this point onwards. Prisoners were sat in their cells. One of the guards described it as appearing like some sort of bizarre summer camp. Zimbardo himself began to worry during the first day that the experiment may become very long and very boring as there was a high potential that nothing at all would happen. And yeah, how how wrong these concerns would turn out to be. So day two at
2: 2.30am, August 16th, 1971, just two and a half hours into the second day of the experiment, a riot almost breaks out amongst the prisoners and guards of the Stanford Prison Experiment after the first of many counts are attempted to be made. This happens when the guards attempt to get the prisoners out of their beds during their early hours by blowing their whistles and banging their batons against the cell doors, and when the prisoners refuse, a heated argument erupts. This results in prisoners remaining within their cells, screaming profanities towards the guards, as well as removing their stitch-on prison numbers and nylon stocking caps. The prisoners then barricaded themselves into the cells using their beds. So this is literally at 2.30 the next day, which I feel... Yeah.
1: That's bizarre in itself. This was one of the three cells that did this, um, It was cell number one that did this. And the, the other two cells were kind of reactionary as this was happening. But I think it was because they had immediately, the guards immediately, because it was all a bit too friendly for maybe Zimbardo's liking for the first few hours they tried to turn up the heat a bit obviously the guards were working shifts so this is when the second set of guards arrive uh, during the night shift so yeah maybe they're just trying to push the buttons a little bit but mm. it's uh, yeah as you said it's a, a, a very aggressive reaction from the prisoners
2: so these events left the guards and the researchers equally baffled as the prisoners continued to leave their cells and even to eat or have access to the yard as well as being confused the guards also became embarrassed by the situation and wanted to reassert their control like we said the, the, the guards feel this is a big disrespect on them essentially and and probably the experiment as well and as we said has already said to them you know you need to keep control of the people you need to be realistic and you know we've all seen films where the prison guards are, are a nightmare to the prisoners so I think this was very much in the back of their heads This early shot came at a difficult time for the guards, who themselves were given no specific training on how to be guards. Instead, both Dr Zimbardo and his research assistant David Jaffe stated that they were free within limits to do whatever they thought was necessary in order to maintain law and order in the prison and to command the respect of the prisoners. So they put their heads together in the privacy of their adjoining recreation room and came up with a plan.
0: Once you put a uniform on and are given a job to keep these people in line, you really become that person. Once you put on that khaki uniform, you put on the glasses, you take the nightstick, and you act the part. That's your costume, and you have to act the part when you put it on.
1: So yeah, that was Dave Eshelman, who was one of the experiment guards, and the prisoners actually gave him the nickname John Wayne. He, yeah, he will come up uh, regularly in this timeline, but they called him John Wayne because he was very authoritarian, he was very imposing, and he they also were kind of taking the piss a little bit because they thought he was acting the part. And you know, playing up to being a guard, so they they were calling him John Wayne, and in turn, them calling him that actually riled him a bit more to behave even even more darker and even more aggressively to them. John Wayne was a prison warden in the film
2: A Cool Hand Luke, which um, yeah, Dave actually said he used as inspiration to how he was behaving within this. Like, as we said, Zimbardo was saying, you know, act how you think is, is right. So Dave actually adopted a, a kind of southern accent as well and he, he's very much playing a role which a lot of people have gone on to criticise saying well that's not a natural way that you'd behave in the situation he is playing a role but we'll delve into that a little bit more later on
1: Later that day in response to the prisoner protests three of the substitute guards are called to the prison in an attempt for the guards to regain their authority and control so apparently they went back to Zimbabwe and said look they're doing this they're not coming out, what's going on we can't get them to eat, we, we can't do anything and he literally just said fix it it's your prison, get it under control it's been alleged that Zimbardo hinted call for backup because obviously they were working shifts so yeah a a large team now arrive at the prison as they arrive two of the guards make the decision to spray large fire extinguishers directly into the prisoners cells making it difficult for them to see or breathe The guards, together with the additional substitute guards, then removed all of the prisoners from their uniforms, took their mattresses and bedding away from them, before periodically sending who they believed to be the main instigators to the hole. And this was obviously the two-foot-by-two-foot storage cupboard that we mentioned. The guards then made threats to the remaining prisoners that this pattern would continue for as long as the experiment lasted if they didn't all start behaving themselves. And this seemed to work on most of the prisoners. Experiment guard Dave Eshelman, or John Wayne, continues. I
0: arrived independently at the conclusion that this experiment must have been put together to prove a point about prisons being a cruel and inhumane place, and, therefore, I would do my part to help those results come about. I was a confrontational and arrogant 18-year-old at the time, and I said, somebody ought to stir things up a bit here.
1: The guards would continue to conduct routine counts on the prisoners from this point onwards all throughout the day and night in order to disrupt their routines and assert their authority over them. So, yeah, they'd get them out, they'd line them up and they'd make them call their numbers out from left to right, from right to left. They'd make them sing it, they'd make them shout it and any slight issue with it, they'd restart the count all over again. So, yeah, they were putting them through a bit of mental torture there. One of the prisoners they viewed as being the potential ringleader of the rebellion was prisoner number 8612, and this was Douglas Corpy, and so they were especially cruel to him, placing him in the hole for far longer than any other prisoner.
2: Day 3, August 17th, 1971, as tensions seemed to ease for the majority of the prison, the guards continued to assert their dominance once again. This time, they split up the prisoners into two halves, one half who they viewed as having minor roles in the rebellion, and the other half who they viewed to have played a major role. Those haven't played a minor role were rewarded by being placed in the cleaner privileged cells, having their clothing and bedding returned to them, as well as being rewarded with food that was not provided to the rest of the prisoners. And just to kind of, as Ben mentioned earlier, one of the things Zabada said to the prison guards is they can't keep food away from the prisoners. And as we can see here, they've already punishing the prisoners by not giving them the food. Those deemed to have played a major role, however, were made to stay in the damaged cells, which still had remnants of fire extinguishers all over the floor and walls, and did not have any bedding whilst also routinely being taken to the hole. They were not allowed access to food or toilets, being forced to share a metal bucket given to them, the smell of which slowly filled the entire basement. Nice. Ugh. I don't think I could pull on another man's poo.
1: Could you, Dan? You'd rather go first. Oh yeah, i go
0: I've first. probably, i I've probably done it. Oh,
1: Festival, yeah. We all, oh, are. yeah. I've done the festival, yeah, yeah but yeah. I don't like doing it. No, I don't think anyone, mm. Mm. yeah, I wouldn't be territorial about it. What do you mean by that? Where if someone pooed, I'd have to poo on top of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that poo's mine now. You can't have that back. This <laughs> is <in> my bucket. <laughs> um. Just sit later on, he wakes up and just
2: sipping it. going, why are you looking at a <laughs> fool? <laughs> I gotta get my cuppa, I gotta get my coffee. <laughs> Yeah, have mm. a brown. But yeah, I wouldn't like it, Ben, but fair play. The guards would also regularly wake them up throughout the night in order to stand on their backs and make these individuals perform naked push-ups or other equally humiliating tasks. Champion jacks would be, or burpees naked wouldn't be fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I find it quite emasculating just doing a burpee fully clothed, but including cleaning the toilets with their bare hands. They'd also randomly swap minor and major prisoners to and from each cell, once again to assert their dominance. Thing is, if you're in the comfy cell and you're still hearing all this going on and the bang and all that stuff, it's not like you're getting a good night's nice mm. kip.
1: No, and you're the, definitely smelling it, yeah. Yeah, the smell, then. Maybe hearing it. What you, what the, mm. Yeah, big bucket. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, that, that is awful. And yeah, they would continually fight. But the thing is, every eight hours, new guards would arrive, fully rested and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they would do a little handover. And this John Wayne and a couple of other ringleaders from each group would say, oh, we did this, we did that. See if you can top that. And so each eight hours, it was getting progressively worse. Quite I like being still in your back, don't you? Yeah, crack my back. Love it. Not while I'm trying to do push-ups. So I don't really do them that often. Mm. But yeah, love a standard walking on my back. Crack everything. But not in that environment. Do you think you'd crack in this environment? My back would still crack. My mentality, state of mind, day one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would not. Um, I would not be a fan of being on either team at the moment. I wouldn't be able to do that to people, and I wouldn't like it being done to me. I think you could quickly turn into being a mean guard. No, you, look, you I'm said one I would. The, boys. I, uh, the live stream we did the other week. You said I wouldn't be able to be on the traitors because I'm not. A Didn't say. That. I don't think I said you're not. A but I think, um,
2: I said that you would be able to be a trait in there, but yeah. that doesn't, that's not the, in this experiment, the whole thing is you're getting coerced into being that you are playing a role. Exactly. I think you could quickly turn.
1: I think that's his whole thing. Any, any person could be under the right set of circumstances. I don't know if I agree with that though, but that, we'll discuss that later. But I think, mm. cause this is a flawed experiment. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah.
2: Anyway, back to it. Uh, We mentioned Prisoner 8612, Douglas Corpy. Uh, He was one of the participants believed to have been a major role in the kind of, all the trouble, kind of the, the revolt, fighting back against the guards. This took an apparently massive toll on his state of mind, and he would become the first individual to lead the experiment just after 36 hours. One of Zimbardo's research assistants, Craig Haney, claimed to observe Prisoner 8612 have a mental breakdown, showing signs of an acute emotional disturbance, during which he screamed the following.
0: Oh, screamed? Okay. Jesus Christ, I'm burning up inside! I can't take another night! I just can't take it anymore! Fuck Zimbabwe! Fuck you and fuck this simulation!
2: <laughs> to be fair, it's not bad. It's not bad compared to what it's kind of
0: close. Should I do a normal one just in case that comes across? <laughs> we could Can actually
2: you... play it.
1: Yeah, it might be quite oh, got it, play. Card, Yeah, it, it is on the yeah, BBC good, doc. Right. Well, Dan could take his clothes off and do it. <laughs> I'll get the clip. God damn it! You're fucked up! You don't know, you don't know! I mean God! I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm burning up inside, don't you know? I just fucking can't
2: take it. Simbada himself would say that he acted as a prison superintendent in response to this, rather than acting as a psychologist. He offered to personally stop the guards from mistreating him if 8612 would act as a snitch on his behalf and return information to him. He was told to sleep on it, but after returning to his cell and informing other prisoners that they won't let me out of here, we are stuck, you can't get out of here, he then made the decision to lead the experiment and was replaced by one of the substitute prisoners. There were also rumours that eight six one two was going to return to help the other prisoners escape, which sent a very conflicting message to the remaining prisoners. So one thing to note on this prisoner in particular, I've listened to some podcasts and research that kind of tries to, well not tries to, it debunks a lot of elements of this whole experiment, people believe that he basically for two weeks i can just read my books to study for some exams he had after all this so the perfect place i can do it i will myself to read the books and study books and everything were taken away from the prisoners so he was like what so i can't do any of this so they think that he actually did this in order just to get to get out of there because he needed to study for his exams. so and okay. he and him acting out and going loot is like he him himself it's very obvious that i'm putting it on yeah it's just shouting essentially but also so someone having a motive to get out that isn't rel- relative to the experiment obviously as well muddies the waters in terms of how you know how much you can believe and take from this experiment
1: yeah and like like you said they took everything away from them i think another prisoner got his reading i don't know if they were reading or actual medically required glasses but he had his glasses taken away from him that's harsh another one had vitamins and medication taken away from him Fucking so hell. yeah it's interesting, but there, yeah, as Tom said, there's loads of other academics and podcasts and, and films to try and to debunk this, uh, this uh, experiment. They're taking the piss, literally, in a, yeah. in a silver metal bucket. <laughs> and the shit. Wouldn't it be nice to be an unused substitute prisoner? Do they mm-hmm. still get paid? Yeah, I think you're paid, you're doing it. Oh, I thought you'd get paid just to be on standby. Like an uncle. Uncle. No. <laughs> I don't think you would. I might be wrong. Pay to play. Probably a couple bucks maybe. Yeah.
2: Because that would have been all
1: right. That would have been it for my my preference. Unused prison sub. Says a lot about you. Thank you. So day four, August 18th, 1971. As a result of the guards segregating those they deemed to be well-behaved and those they deemed to be behaving poorly, all of the prisoners began to distance themselves from one another. They were becoming increasingly more paranoid after what happened with 8612 as well. They didn't all know that he'd been allowed to leave. Some people believed he was put in a separate room, which was, you know, solitary confinement. So they weren't completely clear on what happened. Also when 8612 told them, they won't let us out of here, we can't get out of here. He also told them that he was gonna break out of here and come back and allow them to break out with him and escape from the prison. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, murky elements to 8612. But as a result of all of this happening, the prisoners believed that there were now numerous snitches amongst them. And they also believed that any prisoner misbehaving could cost them their food, their clothing, or their bed. So they slowly and unintentionally became more and more isolated from one another. Late into the fourth day, Prisoner 819 began displaying similar signs of distress to those of Prisoner 8612. He began crying, with his head in his hands, in the corner of his cell for hours on end. He refused Zimbardo's offer of a visit from a local priest and instead asked to talk to and receive the care of a medical professional. Following this, Zimbardo called Prisoner 819 by his real name, confirmed that he would be able to leave and gave him reassurance that this was all purely a simulation. So yeah, I mean, just four days and you're already now completely immersed in that that world that is clearly having a toll on his well-being. So in terms of this simulation becoming uh, a world that the prisoners were fully immersed in, they would also have regular parole meetings uh, with Carlo Prescott and Zimbardo and the rest of his uh, associates. And apparently uh, Prescott would be particularly brutal to them and challenge any of them for not being tough enough. And he would take his role far too seriously and become very, very immersed in the role itself. Obviously, he'd spent 17 years himself in San Quentin, so he would view their experiences of the first four days as being, you know, little to nothing in comparison to what he went through. So he was apparently incredibly cruel to the to the prisoners, which again only continued to impact their belief that they were in a real prison and not able to leave uh, the experiment. Adding panic and confusion to the situation, as Prisoner 819 was being removed from the experiment, the guards surrounded the remaining prisoners and forced them to loudly begin repeatedly chanting, Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. And yeah, there's there's video footage of this, which we'll play for you now. And it is, yeah, it is, it's an awkward watch. It's, it's, it makes you very uncomfortable.
0: Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner
2: 819 did a bad
1: thing. As soon as I realized that 819 could hear this,
2: I rushed to the room where I had left him. And what I found was a boy crying hysterically while in the background, his fellow prisoners were chanting and yelling that he is a bad prisoner and
0: that they were being punished because of him.
2: See, Dr. Zimbardo would actually recall um, talking to Prisoner 819, you know, just when he's about to leave when I was speaking to him, and then they could hear the chanting happening in the in the room behind them. And Prisoner 819 with tears in his eyes basically said, I need to go back and prove that I'm not a bad prisoner. So he's been given the option to leave the situation, which is obviously having caused him distress, but the pressure of not appearing to be I don't know. It's it's very peculiar. I don't know if it's a case of him maybe thinking they're going to be punished on the behalf of how he's been, but yeah. I'm not sure. It, it, was, it was peculiar. So day five, August 19th, 1971, uh, which was due to be the first of a planned two days where prisons would be allowed short visits from family members to continue the simulation of a prison environment and schedule. Due to the so far challenging and highly volatile experiences of the experiment, Zimbardo initially wondered whether or not to let this go ahead at all. Eventually, he decided that it would be good for the well-being and morale for the remaining prisoners, so their planned visits would go ahead, but not without some form of mediation. Zimbardo and his guards made family members wait for multiple hours in order to spend between 5 to 10 minutes with their loved one. Only two family members were allowed to meet with the prisoner, and it would be under the direct view of a guard standing next to them.
1: Does that happen in normal prisons?
2: they kind of in and about them, aren't they?
1: I mean, yeah, just everything there, waiting, making them wait. I guess I've, well, I've seen it in films where they make people wait, but... Five to ten minutes. I don't know if... I don't... I don't know. I wish I was more knowledgeful. Knowledgeful.
2: You should... See you later. <laughs> That should have been one of the cases this week.
1: Yeah. Cookie knowledgeful.
2: Fucking hell. so a large portion of the family members were shocked by their sons, husbands or brothers' appearance and mental state, and many of them left the visit with the intention of contacting lawyers and the real police in order to obtain the loved ones for early release from the experiment. To make matters worse for Zimbardo, during the evening of the fifth day, fellow psychologists and other researchers were invited to view the experiment. When they entered the mock prison, they could not believe what they were seeing before them. Probably smelling as well, I imagine. Guards were continually verbally abusing the heavily malnourished prisoners, many of whom were blindfolded or had bags over their heads, or sitting close to their own faeces. When questioned about the prison conditions and his lack of empathy towards the prisoners, Zimbardo struggled to answer and found himself almost fully immersed in the superintendent role. He could not provide his colleagues with any kind of answer when questioned about the independent variable of his research. Following on from these subsequent visits, Zimbardo was heavily encouraged to shut down the experiment. So one of these people was in fact Zimbardo's partner at the time and and is still to this day. She was kind of appalled by what was going on thinking how cruel like you're, you're causing these young men to be cruel to one another they're doing these bad behaviors to one another because of you not kind of seeing probably Zimbardo's you know vision about the reason for doing this, but um, I think that really had told on him and made him kind of question it himself as well
1: yeah he really really and the rest of his team bought into the roles that they were playing he would also wear the same silver sunglasses as the rest of his guards and it was he if anything got out of hand he would occasionally walk down to the prison himself as well so it was yeah he was very very immersed in his role itself Day 6, August 20th, 1971. Due to the objections that we mentioned, as well as the increased levels of brutality demonstrated by the guards, as well as the numerous family members that were now seeking legal advice for the situation, Zimbardo made the decision to end the Stanford prison experiment. That morning, he called together all of the prisoners and guards, as well as his research assistants, to let them know that the experiment was officially over. So outside of the prison, Zimbardo pulled everybody together for a debrief to share their personal experiences. First of all, he spent a couple of hours with the prisoners before spending under an hour with the guards. He then pulled both groups together for a joint meeting. So all of these individuals at this point were quite shocked that it was very abruptly uh, ended. Prisoners were very, very disorientated, going from being under the control of the guards to then sharing a table and feedback with them. He also informed all uh, participants that he would pay them for six days and allow them to leave the basement. He encouraged all of them to return in one week's time to share their opinions and emotions. It was a prison to me.
0: It still is a prison to me. I don't look on it as an experiment or a simulation. It was just a prison that was run by psychologists instead of run by the state. I began to feel that the identity, the person that I was that had decided to go to prison was distant from me, was remote. Until finally, I wasn't that. I was 416. I was really my number. And 416 was going to have to decide what to do.
1: So that was Clay Ramsey, who obviously, as Dan said, was prisoner number 416. The experiences he had in the six days really stayed with him for a great deal of time. He struggled to adjust when they pulled the groups together for their shared feedback and shared emotions. He he struggled to look the people that played the guards in the eyes, and it had a big impact on him for for the months that would follow. The following day, the prison dubbed Stamford County Jail was taken down, thoroughly cleaned and restored to its former basement condition. Zimbardo and his team would then return to their offices to analyse their data and recordings obtained from the experiment, which would later go on to form part of Zimbardo's Lucifer effect theory. Many of his critics claimed that the experiment was unethical and broke several basic human rights. Many also claimed that Zimbardo and his team encouraged and regularly turned a blind eye to the guards' brutality. Dr Zimbardo concluded the experiment's abrupt finish by making the following statement.
0: The experiment forced us to confront the fragile nature of our own humanity. The participants became trapped in their respective roles, unable to break free from the psychological boundaries they had created. The study showed how easily people can slip into abusive positions and justify their actions. It was a stark reminder that we must be constantly vigilant against the abuse of power.
1: Apparently as well, the final thing that really forced Zimbardo to to conclude and abruptly finish the experiment was that David Eshelman, obviously the guard nicknamed John Wayne, was really getting, uh, again, like the rest of them, immersed into the world of his role, and apparently he instructed the prisoners to begin to simulate sodomy on one another. And this was observed by Zimbardo and his team, and that was when they decided, right, this has to end, Uh, because apparently it got to that level, and he was, yeah, horrific. I saw a clip from that
2: where makes one of them pretend to be Frankenstein and tell another prisoner he loved them. Yeah. Which was incredibly peculiar. We're going to go into a bit of aftermath now, but that essentially is the experiment. But we're going to to discuss a little bit further now and then a little bit of the aftermath. Zimbardo did not face any legal consequences due to the prisoners agreeing to take part, obviously with them signing the contracts, though he does have his critics. Dr. Philip Zimbardo has been described as one of the most distinguished living psychologists, having served as a president of the American Psychological Association, with his areas of focus including time perspective, shyness which is terrorism madness and evil shyness just dropped in there maybe a shy mad terrorist is his dream person to speak to he's like oh, <laughs> don't, don't ask me that um, he also created and narrated an award winning 26 parts that's a lot of parts part CBS series a more parts and a called discovering <laughs> psychology he has published more than 50 books as well as more than 400 professional articles
1: at the time of recording, Zimbardo is coming up to his 91st birthday. He lives in San Francisco and is still active within the academic community. He is a prof... Oh, fuck, I heard this said and I know I'm going to... Professor Emeritus. Emeritus. Ritus. Emeritus.
0: Emeritus. Emeritus.
2: Emeritus.
1: Emeritus. Yeah. Wow. Damn. I would never have guessed. Mm. Like me, man. Cum laude. Bukhaki. Bukhaki. Oh Bukhaki. Hear that again now. He is a professor emeritus at Stanford University, where he taught for more than 50 years, starting in 1968. He continues to conduct research at Stanford and to teach at Palo Alto University in California. Today, he continues to work as the director of an organization he founded called the Heroic Imagination Project. Uh, He's a modest company, c- isn't he? <laughs> Heroic Imagination Projects. Come on, Zimbardo. <laughs> The company promotes research, education and media initiatives designed to inspire ordinary people to act as heroes and agents of social change. Like he inspired John Wayne in the uh, experiment to make people pretend to sodomize each other.
2: <laughs> yes. In August of 2022, Dr Zimbardo released his memoir, Zimbardo, My Life Revealed. It has two five star reviews in Amazon right now, with the blurb stating... From explaining how good people can do bad things and how ordinary people can become heroes, Zimbardo
1: provides an insider's perspective of his research that has impacted our understanding of each other and the world around us. He also, uh, as I said at the start of the episode, he also has a Twitter page or an X page where as recently as February of 2023, he has criticised and critiqued podcasts that cover the Stanford Prison Experiment. Please, uh, I wonder what he thinks of ours. I'd love it. With Zimbardo and his colleague Craig Haney stating that podcast hosts had no right to comment on a kind of expose pieces of the experiment due to the fact that they knew nothing about prisons, uh, which I, fair enough, had never been inside one, fair enough, had never visited one, and had never conducted their own psychological experiment. I mean, I'm kind of a, my own little walking, talking psychological experiment for you guys. I do a lot of it on yourself, to be fair. Cheers. <laughs> The pair claimed that the podcast had, quote, ignored what we have repeatedly said the study itself means, that good, normal people can be led to do extremely bad things when they are manipulated and overcome by powerful institutional or structural forces. It is these dehumanising and cruel settings and the perverse psychological dynamics they generate that are often rotten to the core, not otherwise decent people whose behaviour is transformed by them, rather than their headline-grabbing straw man. So yeah, hopefully we haven't done anything in this episode to upset the doctor. Absolutely fine to upset the doctor, I think. Mm.
2: Um I mean, as I said, like he's made this experiment. He's fucked by not doing the independent variable thing to show what would happen if you didn't if they weren't kinda of coerced to act in a certain way. He's made them wear essentially skimpy little outfits without any underwear, which is completely unnecessary. You know, he obviously must have witnessed food being taken away from them and also them being made of shit in buckets and whatnot and thought that's fine, we'll let that carry on. He's supposed to be you know overseeing all this he could easily have had a word with the people saying you know come on this isn't this is going too far but he was more than happy to let it kind of roll on and i think he's might have done it for different reasons like for actual legit reasons at the beginning but i think he got lost in his role wearing the sunglasses and all that bollocks and just didn't yeah. really
1: yeah. see it through what he what he wanted it to be and now he's just trying to protect his name by becoming so immersed in that role he's encouraged his guards and turned a blind eye to all of the horrific things that, that he's he's finding where I assume a more mainstream superintendent would step in or prevent that or at least a warden would and I think that has influenced what he's wanting to find with this experiment and there's no proper controls to, to make prevent that uh, yeah very flawed study
2: so as well as the Stanford Prison Experiment, Dr Zimbardo is well known for the Lucifer effect, the Time Cure, Shyness, Social Intensity Syndrome and the Time Paradox. He was also called as an expert witness at the Abu Ghraib trials, presumably due to his involvement in the Stanford Prison Experiment, with Abu Ghraib subsequently being dubbed the real-life Stanford Prison Experiment. As we mentioned, the Sanford Experiment ended after just six days, with the Abu Ghraib one ended after at least two months, with some speculating to go on a lot longer than that.
1: So, yeah, he's well known for, obviously, as Tom mentioned, the Time Paradox, as well as uh, the Lucifer Effect. And in the Lucifer Effect, a good example of that theory is how television character Walter White goes from a seemingly uh, good person and transforms into this dark, dark drug baron. So Yeah, he's, he's deemed as one of the most prominent examples of the Lucifer Effect also links back to the salem witch trials as well when the community the whole community could turn on one of their own person um, based on religious fanaticism and collective hysteria Uh, zimbardo has done a a whole bunch of ted talks um, that are all available on youtube lots of interviews um, uh, on youtube as well he's very prominent and as we mentioned throughout the timeline it's also been um, compared to nazi party methodology There's another experiment as well, similar results to the Stanford Prison Experiment, which was the 1967 Third Wave Experiment. The first film version based on or inspired by the Stanford Prison Experiment was the 1977 Italian film La Gabbia, uh, which literally means The Cage. And in 2001, a German film of the events followed, and that was called, uh, hopefully i have got this right, Dan, Das Experiment. Um, Spot on. I think you're close. I think you're close, man. Thanks so much which was followed up by a 2010 American remake called The Experiment, starring Adrian Brody as one of the prisoners and Forrest Whitaker as one of the guards. I remember seeing it ages ago. Uh, I watched it with my dad and it was pretty good. Most recently, in 2015, The Stanford Prison Experiment uh, was released and it won a couple of awards at Sundance and it stars Ezra Miller as Prisoner 8612 and Billy Crudup as Dr Zimbardo. I watched it yesterday. Um, it's de- I would recommend both films, The Experiment and uh, The Stanford Prison Experiment. They explore more of Zimbardo becoming becoming the superintendent and how puppet master yeah it's i would highly recommend both films i know we usually slate films based on cases we've covered but both of those two i thought were really really good i heard they're quite dramatizing involved in violence and stuff that didn't actually happen there was a couple things they've changed but it's not i wouldn't say it was massively changed there's a yeah there's a couple of them are hit with batons which obviously didn't happen but i don't think they'd lean on it too much really uh so i would recommend them And the experiment movie makes reference to the popular Bob Dylan song, George Jackson, uh, which is about a black man who had encountered a great deal of racial prejudice from white inmates and guards within US prison systems. The song itself was written in tribute to black panther leader George Jackson, who had been shot and killed by guards at San Quentin prison during an attempted escape the event indirectly provoked the Attica prison riot and uh, yeah the lyrics which quite well sum up this case sometimes this whole world is just one big prison yard some of us are prisoners the rest are guards. Nob Dylan. Have some respect to Bob Dylan. Yeah and as I mentioned there's also the official Stanford prison experiment uh, website it's quite biased in their own narrative and what they were hoping to do but I mean it's a dot org as well so I'm assuming that that is run and maintained by some kind of funding from maybe zimbardo himself or one of his i don't know one of his associates but it's uh, it's interesting because it contains their version of events but also lots of archived uh, photos and videos so we'll pop that in our facebook group which is uh, which is popping off at the moment tom oh, popping every second mate
2: don't you worry about that but yes that is the case of the Stanford prison experiment let us know what you guys think do you think it was a flawed experiment do you think it does show people uh, can be innately turned into evil people by just um, merely being in a situation or do you think it was very much biased and flawed from the start Dan do you have any kind of initial feelings
0: about it I mean, ultimately, very interesting from a human perspective, but it was flawed. Mm. Uh, I'm interested to hear about what role you think I would take and how <laughs> I would uh, end up. If it was set up as it was,
2: and mm. you were told, you know, you got to keep them in line to keep the to keep the experiment legitimate, mm. I think you would go for. A, I think all day you'd go for a prison guard anyway. Um, I think you
0: would all day, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, is that you agreeing? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, I think yeah, you'd go for that. And I think if it was set up like that way, then yeah, you would happily enforce it. Maybe not to the, I'd like to think not to the extremes of uh, trying to make people uh, fake sodomy on one another. But who knows? Naked press-ups, um, shit in a bucket, wouldn't put it past you. But then I, I also think if it was done properly, you wouldn't get that set. So you'd be firm, but firm but fair,
0: Dan. Perhaps if I was a bit younger, you know, like early 20s, I might have kind of gone down that road quite easy. Mm. But nowadays, <laughs> uh, firm but fair.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. 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 I think if I was one of Dan's prisoners, I wouldn't take the piss. I would know. <laughs> All right, mate. I'll, um, my bed's made. am not going to cause <laughs> with any trouble here. I'll see you later. You wanna say see you later. you got nowhere to go. Well, yeah, but he can, I'll see you later when you come back. If you want to come back.
0: What would you boys choose? Guard or prisoner? Probably guard, to be fair.
1: Mm. Before, yeah. before the experiment, Prisoner. But then, again, this is part... Did they know they were going to... I assume they knew they'd have to stay in there 24-7 and would they have known that the guards would would work in shifts, though? Because that would be knackling.
0: You'd be a good prisoner, Ben, I think.
1: Thank thank you for... I think that's a compliment, isn't it? (laughs) No. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I probably... Yeah, I probably would. I don't think you'd be a troublemaker. I think you'd do as you're told. Cheers again not sure if that's a compliment no it's not really <laughs> no <laughs> no spirit
2: but um you hear me? well we we'll
1: are
2: talk about this but yeah, it's easily um moldable um manipulated and um lack of will
1: but anyway that's yeah. the case of the stuff in good on the cv
2: easily moldable are you looking for a job
1: yeah no no no, no. <laughs>
2: But yes, that is the case of the Stanford Prison Experiment. We hope you guys found it as interesting as we did. Don't forget, if you are, you know, desperate for more cases, we do have over 150 over on our website, ickmap.co.uk, with a few different tiers, you can go over there, different prices for different um, different privileges, uh, oh, like privileges of a nice cell for the night. So it's basically the same setup as this visually, so why not go over there and check it out?
1: Yeah, and if you found if you found this one uh, harrowing, wait until you hear our Holmesburg Prison Experiment episode because goodness me. Oh, acres of skin. Yeah, that was mentioned,
2: yes. Disgusting. Mm. Yeah. And also, if you're interested, we are going to be at CrimeCon this year. Uh, so be sure to check that out. We posted it over on our socials, but why not head over there? You can use our discount code ICMAP for 10% off the tickets, and we'd love to see you there.
1: Yeah, we'd absolutely love to see you there. We'd love to meet people in person. As well as that, all of the socials, we're pretty much at Could Murder a Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. As, as we mentioned, we've now got a Facebook group as well where people kind of share lots of things they find fascinating, news articles. It's, uh, it's, it's popping off. And uh, obviously for each episode we cover, we're, we're sharing extra bits of detail there. So the, the interactive uh, Ted Bundy map and now also the, uh, <laughs> the official Stanford Prison Experiment website. And also something exciting, we have dropped some new
2: merch over at the merch store, so be sure to check it out. as part of our Sunnyside up range, the Diner range. Want to go over there and have a little looky? And why not, why not treat yourself, eh? Eh? Anyway, like we always say, Ben. Oh, hang on. My cryptic clue. Oh, sorry about that. Let's not breeze yeah. past that. Uh,
0: oh, is that in the bucket? Surrounded by pissing. Yeah, go on. It is, yeah. So, Benjamin Carter's cryptic clues.
1: Get everyone gather round for some cr- clues that can be quite cryptic, but he's going to give them to you anyway. Hope you can figure them out. Obviously, we've had the uh, the Chelsea one for this week's uh, episode. For next week, I think this one is not going to piss people off as much. Okay, next week's episode. Batman wouldn't want to stumble into that home. No way. Batman wouldn't want to stumble into that home. No way.
2: Yeah, it's not it's not a cryptic clue because every cryptic clue has to have specific things that mean everything throughout yeah, it. Kind of,
1: it's kind of cryptic because of the stuff in there. But Dan made me a nice fitting jingle. <laughs> I
0: did. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's like rockbusters Carl Pilkington cryptic clues. yeah yeah you have to kind of mix words up a little bit to make it work and mispronounce things a little bit yeah but anyway like guys thanks so much <laughs> for joining us we, we look forward to being back next week for New Case and like we always say we say this all the time
1: keep on doing what you doing well unless it's uh cum laude cum. Laude. Unless it's, yeah. Shit
2: in, in the bucket.
1: Yeah, and those police sirens ruining your Sunday summer morning uh, in the hot summer sun. Um, you know. Unless it's doing experiments that <laughs> may be flawed. I mean, but, but don't, you have to do loads of flawed experiments to shut get the right... <laughs> <up>. <laughs> See you Just next week. I'm
0: so happy about that. For God's For
2: God's sake. Sake.
1: Thank you so much. I've been cool. Ben. Lardé. He's been Dan. And that's been Tom.
0: Bye. Bye. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.